Pulp MX Network production. Welcome to the Pulp Hockey Show with Ray Ferraro and Steve Mathis. Support the show by clicking the Amazon banner on PulpHockey.com before shopping. Follow the show on Twitter at Pulp Hockey. Subscribe on iTunes and find us on Stitcher or your favorite podcast app. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Pulp Hockey Podcast. Thank you for listening. Thank you for downloading it on iTunes, on Stitcher, wherever you get podcasts from. It's been a lot of fun talking hockey each and every week with um, one of the best in the game. And uh, looking forward to today's show as well. I'm Steve Mathis with me on the line from TSN, former uh, NHL player for many, many years. Ray Ferraro. What's up, Ray? How are you? I'm, I'm good. It's, um, it's Thursday as we tape this. I'm... Um I'm done with my NHL games for 2018. I'm now starting to, as soon as I finish this, starting to learn as many of the 200 kids that are going to be in the World Junior Tournament, uh, which starts on Boxing Day in, here in Vancouver. So I'm excited to do that. It's um, it's among the most fun thing that I do all year. I, mm-hmm. I love the games. They're they're super cool to do. They're what's really interesting for me is in short order, like by next September a good chunk of these kids will be playing in the NHL or at least trying to, you know, to start their pro career. So I get, I love that I get a look at them when they're still amateurs. It's really, really a lot of fun. Yeah, especially with the way the league is skewing these days. The guys, the, there's no seasoning anymore. Kids are stepping in and performing right away, well, you know? that that's Steve, I would say that's the, the key to the, you know, to your statement is that it's not that they're just playing. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, they're in. Yeah. No, they're good. They're ready to play in mm-hmm. a lot of ways. Uh, John Tortorella had a you know uh, a couple of weeks ago. He was talking about just just find a way to win. He's like coaching is so different. There's so many mistakes because the players are so young, but they're also willing to try plays that we would have never attempted because a we probably weren't skilled enough, but b <laughs> is that if you screwed up, you yep. got benched. Here they say don't screw up. Here's a way you maybe don't screw up mm-hmm. and try that play again and make it work next time. Yeah. Like everything is changing. And I think because it is, you know, we see players like, you know, of course we've got McDavid, right? And everybody talks about him. Everybody talks about Austin Matthews. What about Miko Rantanen? He's mm-hmm. leading the league in scoring. He's over 50 points, which is for a lot of years you go, wow, 50 point player. That's a good player. I mean, he's played 31 games. Mm-hmm. Like, we actually could have 100-point scores again. Wouldn't that be fun? What if a couple guys could get towards 50 goals or 53 goals? Wouldn't that be awesome? Yeah. And and that's that's what's exciting about the game to me um, today, the games that we watch. And see a lot of these kids um, in the junior tournament to start. Like, okay, as I said, the games here are here in Vancouver. So the U.S. is here. It's going to have the Hughes brothers. And... You know, Quinn is already drafted by Vancouver. Mm-hmm. As soon as, as soon as the uh, schedule was released and everybody found out that the U.S. was in Victoria, uh, those games sold out in like, I don't know, ten minutes. Yeah. Because everybody, yep. all the all the people in Vancouver want to watch Quinn Hughes, and now they're going to get to see Jack Hughes. And you know, like, 
the players are they're exciting to the people. They know them now, and, and I think it just continually, the tournament gets better and better. Speaking of the tournament, too, by the way, today is the 13th of December, and uh, you're done with your NHL work. The, the tournament is in your hometown this year. You, yep. you Ray, for, for one of the first times in years in the, in the hockey season, you're going to get a little bit of home life here. Congratulations, by the way. It's got to be very nice for you. Well, it's it's different. It's you know, I mean, usually the the exhibition games, of course, they're the week before the tournament. So I'm gone for the week prior to Christmas. I usually get home on the 24th at about noon if the flights work out, and then I leave at 11 o'clock in the morning on Christmas Day. Yeah, right. that's if the tournament's in North America. If the tournament's in Europe, I'm gone from the probably about the 18th on. Yep. And so this is great. And, um, we know we got our elf, our elf in the shelf. Oh boy, um, you're doing that, huh? Yeah. So we, oh yeah. Oh yeah, man. Our, the boys love it. We got little Marley here. So Marley's hitting around various oh. places and, and then Reese is going to be, uh, Reese is turning nine tomorrow. Um, so, you know, it's all this stuff that the, the life of hockey, which has been amazing, but, it does take you away from yeah. from a lot. Yeah, especially so you. I'm yeah. I'm really excited, man. I mean, this is do you, this will be great. It'll be a great tournament. I'm glad to be home. Do you have it in your contract with TSN that you can get the helicopter to Victoria for the games, or are you? On I don't the, have to go. Oh, you're not I going. Go. Nothing. Okay. No, I'm just in. I'm just in Vancouver. Gordon Miller and I will be here because that's where the Canada pool is. Mm-hmm. Um, Dennis Bayak, who is just an outstanding announcer, who does the Winnipeg Jets games. Yeah, He's a, he is. Just a, just a, I think he does an amazing job. Just and he brings passion to to what he does. Everything that he does, he'll be with Craig Button, who is about as knowledgeable as anybody coming into the tournament about these kids. I mean, it's basically his job when you don't see him on TSN is he's around yeah. scouting these players, and um, you know, Craig knows more than almost anybody about it. Yeah. So that's our broadcast team in Victoria. Okay, awesome. Um, All right, hey, so we're going to have the executive director of the NHL alumni, which is a cool title and and really, really cool because you're involved with the alumni, obviously being being a former player. But more than anything, uh, uh, Glenn Healy, I think, uh, will be an interesting guest and a funny guest, a former teammate of yours. I'm I'm stoked to have Heels on the show. Heels is a piece of work. (laughs) As a teammate, he was... He was just an awesome, awesome guy to play with. I played with him with the Islanders. Um, sarcastic and funny and smart and super competitive. Um, we got along really well, along with Pat Flatley. And um, you know, and I, I've known Heels, uh, you know, since the early '90s when when we played with New York. Um, he's gone on. He worked at the Players Association. He was a broadcaster for a number of years. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's making this is the cool thing. It's he is making a real difference with the alumni, and it may not seem like um, a big deal to some people, but anybody that plays in the NHL, one game or a thousand, they're um, they're in the alumni. Mm-hmm. And there are some guys, unfortunately, that haven't done as well as others. Whether they have health issues, uh, whether they've had difficulties finding jobs, and you could, I think, a lot of people, Steve, think players. Um, when they get to the NHL, they're all making millions of dollars. Yeah, and that's that's just not the case. And and one of Heels' great initiatives and and focus for the for the alumni, and he'll tell us about it, is that you know this is for everybody. It's not just for the guys that were stars. Mm-hmm. It's for it's for the people that that need it to put money in, so guys can get health care, so guys can um, 
guys can be looked after into their 60s and 70s because it's amazing. Once you walk out the door as a player, um, you're out. Yeah. I mean, you were you were no longer part of the NHL Players Association the second you stopped playing. So just think of that. You're you're in the union, and then you're not. <laughs> then you're out. The union yeah. has the union has nothing to do with you. You're just cast aside. Yeah. And so um, I was incredibly lucky to stay in the game um, as I did. So I never really had to go through a transition. Lots of people transition into what they don't know. They've been doing this since. And you can say, oh, they should prepare, but how do you prepare? You put every waking hour into preparing for mm-hmm. this incredibly difficult career, and then it's over. And then you got to figure it out. Some guys can't, and some guys are hurt. And, and so the alumni, that's a lot of what they do. And, and Heels, is, they've got some great projects on the go, and Heels is at the forefront of them. But I will tell you this. I will get him to tell maybe one of the funniest stories that I've ever seen, mainly because <laughs> it cost him a couple of thousand dollars. Okay, perfect. Otherwise, it's not funny. <laughs> and and Heels, he's got to reach a long way to find his wallet. So, okay, yeah, one of those guys. And since yeah. he's not and since he's not on yet, he can't debate that. Yeah, that's too bad for him. But <laughs> he will be entertaining, and looking forward to having him on. Oh, fantastic. I can't wait. Uh, before we get him on, uh, I've watched hockey for a long, long time, and uh, I saw something new the other night. And It's kind of the buzz. Uh, it's actually broken through the NHL and got into the you know mainstream sports. Uh, referee Tim Peel in the uh, Panthers-Blues game uh, took a dump in off the giblets, and it went right past Roberto Luongo and into the net, and poor Tim Peel, poor Luongo. It didn't count. But holy smokes, Ray, I've never seen anything like that. I've never seen that. I've never seen it. Um, the goal doesn't count because the puck can't go directly off the official into the net. Now, I didn't know so, that. I was like, because you, you see the dump-ins that go off linesmen or referees, and it, it, it's a fortunate bounce, and, and a goal occurs. So I did not know that. I learned something. Right. Um, unfortunately, um, you had to learn it by the <laughs> by the puck hitting Tim Peel in the junk. And the... The crazy part about this is there's not a better official that it could have happened to. And the reason I say that is because Tim will find this hilarious. He will, huh? I mean, he doesn't okay. do anything. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's, he's standing in the corner like, he's just standing there, man. He's minding his own business. And Bertuzzo rifles this one at him. And the fact, now, had it hit him and not gone in, there's no story. Mm-hmm. Even if it hit him in... Hit him in the junk. Right. It's no story. But it went in. Like, it is a story. And it's, oh, I just, the guys must be giving it to him. I can't oh, wait yeah. to run into him at a game here. <laughs> right, right, and right. Uh, th- that's going to be, that'll be enjoyable. Yeah, but he, it was, I've never seen it either, Steve. Not he, like that. He no. had to leave the game. He came back, but he had to, I mean, it was serious enough that he had to leave, you know? Like, it was. Well, yeah. I guess. <laughs> the guy, so what do you think? Potuzo must have shot that. It's just a dump, and he must yeah. have shot it. 75 miles an hour? Probably, yeah. 80 yep, miles yep, an hour? Yep, yep. And I don't care how good your jock is, that's going to sting. Oh. And and Luongo, like, I wonder if, he, like, he misplayed it, obviously, poorly. You have to wonder, uh, how much was he going? What, 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 wait, what, what's happening? Oh, wait, I have the puck. Well, I, th- I, think he was, <laughs> I think he was thinking the puck's going around the back of the net. Yeah. And so he starts to leak off the post, and then yeah. all of a sudden, oh. bam, what's in the net? Oops. 
but the, the the sight of Peel laid out on the ice had to catch him in his eyesight a little bit. Oh, <laughs> here's here's the other thing too. Um, you know, as we mentioned, the goal didn't count. So Peel, while he's sitting down, he's got to wave the goal off, <laughs> which I think is just yes. amazing. So it's in St. Louis. And the horn is blasting. Yeah. They think they've scored. Their year has been crap anyway. Yeah. And no, it yeah. doesn't count. And he's got to wave it off while he's sitting down. Uh, I learned the rule. Like I said, right? I honestly thought because we've seen the dump-ins, like I said, that that helps out a team, you know, and then they score. We've yeah. seen that happen. And I So when I first saw it, I'm like, that's a goal. And I'm like, there, they waved it off. But I honestly, and I know there was confusion with, with Panger, too, on the broadcast even. Like, I, I, I learned well, a new here, rule. Here's, so. the, here's the thing. I can guarantee you, well, I'm going to pick a number, but, you know, the number's just a guess. Okay. But I'm going to guess 80% of the players had no idea that that did, that, that uh, <laughs> yep. rule. Yep. Yeah. I was talking to one of the linesmen the other night, mm-hmm. and um, it was in the Toronto game, and um, I said I said to him, I said, I, I like how you're educating the players, because the players wanted this too many men on the ice penalty, because a guy was sitting on the boards and the puck hit him. And and the linesman turned around and said, it's not a penalty, it's a it's a face-off at center ice. Yeah. And the reason I laughed is because when they change the rules or or guys sometimes just know them. You'd think you all would, but lots of times you're like, what the hell happened there? And someone will go, oh, yeah, that's because of this. And you're like, huh, didn't yeah. know that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There you go, right? Oh, fam- <laughs> I mean, I just, yeah. it's it's And that, and that highlight... Poor Tim Peel. Like, I'm glad you said you know him, and he's going to take this, take this lightheartedly because it, it's everywhere. You know what I mean? It's gone viral, uh, it, and and there's no escaping it. When he gets to when he gets to his retirement party, his <laughs> his buddies are going to have that thing on a loop. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, all right, before we bring Glenn Healy on, real quickly, um, let's talk about the Canes Leaf game you did the other night, the last one before you said you go deep diving into the World Juniors. Um, yeah, William Nylander played well. No, he did not. He played okay. <laughs> he made he made one pass. He did that one pass and was pretty sweet. He though. made he actually made two passes because he made one in the first period. He passed it through his legs. Yeah. Uh, Tamarlo in the slot was a real nice play. Um, it, it, it super play on the two on one. That was a that was a gorgeous pass that Marlowe was able to put away. But he took two penalties because he got stuck on the ice mm-hmm. and he's not in shape yet. Yep. And and. As as you've heard on my radio hits and things like, um, that's not at all surprising to me that that he's not in the best of shape. I mean, how how the hell could he be? Yeah. And um, what I noticed is when the puck's in traffic, like when he's got it in traffic, he's still not, you know, like his hands aren't quick yet. Mm-hmm. You know, and yeah. and that's that's okay. I mean, that's you can practice and do whatever the hell you want, but you're not going to have you're not going to have your, you know, your the speed of your hands, the quickness of view in the game. You're not going to have that until you play a bit because at practice things roll along. Things roll along at a certain pace mm-hmm. in the game. It gets really crowded, right? And and I think that's probably where he's at. Yeah, I mean, I imagine you never you never did the holdout thing, right? But you've came back from <laughs> in, in, yeah. I I held out in 2002. Yeah, but actually I had retired and nobody noticed the difference. <laughs> um. But coming back from injury is similar, right? It takes a couple weeks. A couple weeks is what you um, say. Well, yeah. you know, I've told, I've told you that story, and I've told it on here about when I came back from my broken leg. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was out three months, and, you know, I had, you know, I had played the first half of the season. 
right? Yep. And yep. it's still, you know, Nylander didn't have training camp. He didn't have exhibition games. And he's starting at December hockey, which is a hell of a lot better than October hockey. So um, he's got a ways yep. to go. Yeah, I I know it. I, I you know, I, 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 I understand it, mm-hmm. like why it takes so long. Like people were saying, hey, Tom Wilson played uh, – or had 14 points in his first eight games. Yeah, but Tom Wilson, while he was suspended, he played or he practiced every day with the Capitals. Yeah. So he was at practice. Nate Schmidt, while he was suspended for that PED suspension, he was playing in Austria. Yep. Right? So those guys had miles ahead of Neil. Yeah, apparently Nylander did a little bit of practicing with a Swiss club or something at some point. But, uh, yeah, that's about it. You know, not even close to enough, Steve. All right, let's uh, let's bring Glenn Healy in here and uh, see what he's got to say. And now, as we were talking about in the beginning of the show, we are pleased and proud to bring on the uh, Paul Pocky podcast with Ray Ferraro, the executive director of the NHL alumni and former goaltender, Glenn Healy. What's up, Heels? How are you? Well, pleased to be on the show. Uh, I don't know if you guys will be pleased to have me on the show once I'm finished putting this thing in the ditch. <laughs> well, it wouldn't be the first time, Hale. No, no, you and I are good at that. <laughs> we have done that before. Uh, for those that don't know, Heels and I got to know each other when he, we were with the Islanders in the early 90s. Um, and we went on to, for, for the post-Stanley Cup Islanders, their greatest moment was getting to the semifinal in 93. Heels was our goaltender, was spectacular. Heels, how the hell did we do that? Um, <laughs> lots of booze. Um, we, we tricked ourselves into thinking we belonged. No, what I remember most about that was just, you know, Al Arbor, and we had no Turgeon, right? So we really had no center iceman, none other than you. Thanks. And that yeah, wasn't thanks. much of a uh, list for us. But um, he sat in the room and he basically said, and he went to Pat Flatley first and said, could you tie one shift against Mario? Like, I'll win one, just tie. Yep, no problem. Then he went to you. Can you tie your shift against Mario? Yep. And before you knew it, he goes, okay, the first period is done. All right, second period, flats. Can you do it again? Okay, now we started to get the exercise. But the bottom line was he said, if we get to game seven, all we have to do is win one shift against him, and we win. And that is exactly what happened. It's that one shift where I think Samuelson took a step forward instead of backwards, and it was you and David Volek in a two-on-one, and it was tic-tac goal. So I give lots of credit to Al. I give lots of credit to you know guys like yourself who had just a whale of a series. But we, we had lots of guys that played hurt. We had a rookie defense, and uh, we had a tiger by the tail, and uh, we probably should not have won that series. But I look back on it now, and I couldn't be more proud of our team. Um, the the thing I realized years later, Heels, was somebody sent me this like 22-minute summary of the series. And the last five or six minutes was all on Game 7. What I remembered was we had a 3-1 lead late. They came back and tied, and then we went in overtime. What I didn't remember was they outshot us about 48-25. to 25. <laughs> like, well, You um, looked like a one-armed paper hanger. <laughs> you were diving all over the place. I had... Like, did it seem like that to you, or did it um, seem like, oh, the game's going on? And well, I he, he, he started calling me Barney, because my face was so purple from <laughs> <laughs> some of the action. You know, I, the, the one thing um, I do remember was, yeah, it, it got late in the game. We were up 3-1, and Huey Krupp and Mario Lemieux got in a stick-swinging fight with three minutes left. And they both got a two-minute penalty. And I'm really good at math. So <laughs> I'm thinking, three? 
minus two, that's one. All I got to play is one more minute because Mario Lemieux sitting in the penalty box. We've got this thing won. Scores! Scores! <laughs> and it was 3-3 three, three before I knew it. And, uh, I mean, you know how guys today, they score goals, and you go down the bench and you tap each guy on the glove? That's what we were doing in overtime when we iced it. Because that was a goal for us. <laughs> go down the bench. Way to go. You iced the puck. You got it 200 feet away from us. Uh, it was, uh, you know, they were a dynasty. Uh, I really feel bad for that team because they sh- they dismantled them the next year. And they really shouldn't have. We just didn't belong in that series. But we just had that that moment in time, that two weeks where we believed and, and had guys step up and, and pick up the slack. And, and we did that without our leading scorer in Pierre Turgeon. So, yeah, it was it was a whale of a series. I I don't think we touched the puck in the first period. Um, you know, they had all kinds of stuff that we could put up on our bulletin board. You know, the better team will win. Boom, that goes on our board. You know, these guys don't stand a chance. Boom, that goes up on our board. So there was a real sense of of a cause for us, and and we had the best coach ever in hockey to lead the way. And so the year ends, and you know, now we're thinking, hey, we've. Maybe we found something because you delude yourself into thinking you're a decent team or a good team. And zap, you leave to go to the Rangers um, as a free agent. And a, a big part of the chemistry of our team was upset when, when Heels left. So how easy was it to leave? I know there was a lot of money that made it a lot easier. And what was it like running through that rodeo with, with the Rangers to their first Stanley Cup in 50 years? All right, a lot of meat on the bone there, and so uh, when when I was uh, kind of picked up by the Rangers or dealt to the Rangers that summer, I, I remember at the year-end party, we had those uh, four owners that owned our team. Al Arbor called them the four headless horsemen. <laughs> they, had, they had no right owning an NHL team, but then Spano bought the team after them, basically, so I guess he didn't have a right either. But the four headless horsemen, and we had our year-end bash at an Italian restaurant, and Pat Flatley, who's a real close friend to us, who was the captain, wrote down my contract demands on a napkin. <laughs> because I was a free agent, and handed it to the four headless horsemen. And I knew I was in trouble when one of them crumpled it up and threw it at me. Okay, I guess we broke up. And probably I didn't make the save, so that was a pretty good indication why I wasn't going to be there. But that was the years of the expansion draft, and I got picked up by Anaheim, and then I got picked up by Tampa Bay because they were allowed to pick a player on, on, on day two of the expansion draft and then traded to the Rangers. And through all of that... We had about five of us over in Ireland, absolutely uh, having the time of our lives with no cell phone, living on the west coast of Ireland in Connemara, and I had no idea that I was picked up by three teams in one day, and these teams tried calling me for a week, and I never called them back because I didn't have a cell phone. So I'm sure their thought was, we picked up this guy, and he doesn't have the decency to call us back. Uh, but, but that was the – I had no choice. And, Ray, if you remember, we beat the Rangers um, to knock them out of the playoffs. You would have scored the goal. You were Turgeon. You scored all of our goals, the two of you. Uh, but there was a collision with Amonti and Kevin Lowe, and then we won the game, and the Rangers were done. Finished. They're out of the playoffs. And I was one of the stars for that game and decided in Madison Square Garden to go out and take my bow as a star with my gloves off, giving the finger to all the fans. Yeah, you, you had it, you had it clapped, I had a flare. oozing out of you. Yeah, and, and then a couple months later, 
I'm on the Rangers. <laughs> oh boy. Okay. Um, we got to get back together here. So yeah, it, it was a really weird time because you know we had a good group, we had a tight group, we had a good locker room, and uh, and it wasn't long after that 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 Al left the team, and it just there's so many changes. And what did it take them? Twenty three years to make a second round in the playoffs. So yeah. um, pretty proud of the group. We did some pretty good damage. So you guys go, you had an amazing team. And then at the deadline, you guys made about, I don't know, five or six trades, yep. all, all deals that they felt would give them one extra push, one extra push. And you go on and, you know, I would say clipped us in the first round, except we lost the first two. The Islanders and the Rangers meet up in the first round. We lose the first two games, six, nothing, six, nothing. <laughs> I mean, the series was over in two games. Well, I think there was a comment in the paper, and I think you might have made it. Correct me if I'm wrong, because my memory fades at times. But it was, I think the comment you made was, we just got to find a way to win one game. And the reporter was like, win a game? How about score a goal? Score a goal. <laughs> so, and it took you to the second period, and I think you scored it um, did, in game yeah. three to, to, to score a goal. But uh, that, you know, that year, you're right. I, we were in Calgary for the trade deadline, and I can recall sitting on the bus. We'd made about six moves, and we were the President Trophy winners wire to wire, and we had, were clearly winning the league that year. And I thought, wow, they really liked our team, didn't they? <laughs> they traded all the guys away. There's only four or five of us on the bus uh, but each of the moves that were made really helped us we you know we needed a fourth line center iceman craig mctavish says i will go from playing 20 minutes in edmonton to take the biggest face off ever we had players like Doug Lidster, didn't play much during the year, but was so great in the finals. You know, uh, Glenn Anderson, you know, a move at the deadline, didn't do much through the last part of the season, but he scored two game-winning goals in the Stanley Cup final. You're not getting better money than that. And, you know, your your Larmer trade never made a mistake. You had uh, Greg Gilbert, who never made a mistake. You just you had a complete team, and, uh, and, and you know, for us, all the moves that they made were right, and it led to ending a 54-year drought. And uh, that, that to me, was something special, to be on that group, to have three generations of Raider fans that had never seen a championship watch the cup get hoisted on their ice. Now, see, the highlight for me of that... Of that oh, I already know where this deal. is going. I know where this is going. Okay. Right, after, right after you guys just destroy us in the first round, now we're done for the year. You guys have about ten days to wait until the next series. You got nothing to do, and so Pat Flatley and myself and the wives we decide you you hook up. We're going to go to Smith and Walensky, the famous steakhouse in New York, mm-hmm. and I, I want to say Greg Gilbert was there too. He was, and so we have this dinner, and it's and you know the red is flowing. Things are. Things are good. It's a really great dinner. But the highlight came late in the dinner, and I think I think. Would you, you like me to finish should. the story? I think you should. <laughs> okay. So, Flat had to go to this restaurant, had to go to this table up top, had to. Even though the wait, we were almost ready to start the next series by the time we got our table, okay? <laughs> had to go there. And I thought, look, Flat, there's lots of restaurants in New York. Let's just go, just go to a restaurant. Everyone's hungry. Uh, no, that table, that restaurant, we got to go. All right, so we finally get up to our table. It's up top, and they have the the bell from Madison Square Garden, from the original garden where they had the fights. 
and you you know would they mm-hmm. ring the bell before the starts of rounds? I, I think that's what they do. I I didn't yeah. have many fights in my life. However, <laughs> uh, and you know we get down to the table. Flat says, "Ring the bell." I'm like, "I'm not ringing the bell." Come on, you chicken shit! Ring the bell. I think I believe I just said that, but I did. It's a podcast. Oh, yeah, you're you're fine. Okay. Uh, And so he he, he went on and on incessantly through dinner. And I finally, at the end of dinner, when you're right, Ray, we had the red flowing, I was like, I'll ring the bell. And back goes this beautiful uh, arm, and then I let go of that arm, and bang, the bell rings through the entire restaurant, and I get a standing ovation. (laughs) <laughs> and I thought, wow, they're all Ranger fans in here. Every one of them. Just beat the Islanders. No, here is the lore. If you ring that bell, if you do, you have to buy the entire bar around. And if you don't buy the entire bar, the entire bar around, then you get bad luck. So I, unfortunately, had to buy the entire bar a round of drinks. That round of drinks was more money than my wedding. <laughs> and I did my wedding cheap, okay? Uh, but um, Ray and Flats, I'm going to get you back. I don't know how, uh, yeah. but I'm going to get you back. So <laughs> the, and we had good wins in the next three series. Came heels. A heels, when the re- realization came that you had to chalk up for that, Mm-hmm. Man, my gut hurt for a week. <laughs> yeah. I was like, guys are coming up, thanks, heels. He's like, yeah, oh, yeah. beat it. So there's somebody in New York, there's a couple people that have an autograph that goes, to Dave, you know, best wishes, F you, Glenn Healy. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not appropriate to put on an autograph, yeah. but yeah. And, and they're standing in front of me. Here, here's the worst part. With like cognac. And scotch, but you couldn't order a shandy or a, a white wine or no. You're going for the expensive stuff, and my Scottish background. I'm just letting you know that one hurt a lot, and it was more than my wedding. <laughs> and the Scottish mafia is going to get Ferraro and Flatley back. Mark my words. Well, I will be on. We'll be on lookout. I know Flats will be. I will be. I live too far away. I'll be good for a while. I love that. It was a real good night, and um, yeah, unfortunately, the, you know, the series that we had ended too soon. Uh, but it, for me, you know, having been with the Islanders and then I'm with the Rangers, um, I, mean, I mean, you know, you put money up on the board. We had I had bounties on the board for us to win games. <laughs> so between the ringing of the bell and the money I put up on the board, I basically made no money that first year with the Rangers. So. Good on you guys, uh, Glenn. Question for me: the the Mike Keenan. I mean, this there there's or you could go on for an hour stories about Mike Keenan. But, <laughs> I hate him. But, oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> what was it like? Because you know he was he's negotiating a contract apparently to leave. He's trying to coach you guys to the Stanley Cup final. Um, you know, a lot of players on that team. I did a podcast with Eddie O, and I mean, he just came out and ripped them. Uh, you guys won in spite <laughs> of him. Uh, what was the turmoil like with the coach? And and I imagine Mess trying to like. Like Mark Messier trying to like hold it all together here. Well, we had it all that year. We had mutinies where we're not going to play unless he gets fired, which you really can't hold the NHL hostage. That that probably would not be appropriate. Uh, I don't think anyone went unscathed. Uh, certainly, there was lots of abuse for pretty much every player. But you know, the one thing I will say, uh, he made you know Brian Leach have a, a year that he'd never had. 
Mike Richter was as good as I've ever seen a goalie play. You know, we really changed the way the team played. We played four defensemen, not six. It was Kevin Lowe and Zuboff and Bukaboom and Leach that were our four D. We shortened our bench. We basically played with six guys. And... You know, he he did his best to push people to their threshold, and uh, sometimes it was unfair, sometimes it was cruel, but, uh, you know, at the end of it all, for each of our the players, your name gets on the cup forever. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, I look at it more from that standpoint. Hey, my dad fought in World War II for five years for free. <laughs> and I'm playing with the Rangers, and I'm getting paid a lot of money, and I won the cup, and i got to put up with this guy for seven months. Okay, I'm okay with the seven months of abuse, uh, considering the five years my dad had with people shooting at him, probably a little bit more difficult. So I, I look at it in perspective and not so much just in the moment. Can you can you do me one favor, though, Heels? Just please yep. tell one one story. Sure. Yeah, about, I've got a real good your, one, which was your, yeah, your December, your December 23rd, playing in Washington. Uh, we won one nothing. We had segment bonus back then. Back then, that were you're allowed to bonus people. You had to have a goals against a certain amount and a power play and a, and a penalty kill and win so many games in a five game segment. Well, we win one nothing. We check off all the boxes and put thousands of dollars into our bank account. Fantastic. Press asks me the, the if I'm going to play the next game against the Devils on the 27th. And basically, all I said was, "Look, it. You think I can figure this guy out?" I mean, I, I can figure out Al Arbor. I'd know if I was playing with Al, but I don't know. Ask him. So the headlines on the 27th were Keenan, no Al Arbor from me. <laughs> so summoned to the office, and uh, he's got his feet up on the desk, and he tells me basically to sit down. Sit down, Mr. Hockey. Oh, okay, I know what this is about. I said, Mike, you're taking this out. No, no, no. Mr. Know-it-all, you tell me the difference between me and Al Arbor. I said, Mike, you're t- I didn't write the headline. No, no, Mr. Hockey, you tell me the difference. So finally I did. Four Stanley Cups. What do you think of that? And basically threw something at me, and I, I left the office. <laughs> and we broke up for a long period of time after that, too. So <laughs> this was just one of those high school relationships that we just were not measured to get along. However, that would be, that would be a good one to start. And uh, I did play the next game. We won. I think it was 7-2, just a slaughter of the Devils. And it didn't matter. I didn't play for a long, long period of time after that. So, But uh, there, there's a good way to put yourself in the bad books. Hills, when you, uh, when you retired, probably – like me, you just it just seemed natural you would get into the broadcasting business. We both talk a lot, and you went out, you had a long career. Like, would, did you give any thought to to management or anything, or did you just start right in? No, I, I actually uh, met with Larry Tannenbaum, who is um, um, one of the owners of the lease at the time. He was the majority owner before Bell and Rogers split the package up, and uh, that's what we did talk about. Um, talked about working underneath Pat Quinn and learning the ropes and working as an assistant general manager, and then I took it home to my wife, and we had a young family, and we talked about, you know, this is going to be a time commitment thing. What do you think? And and uh, we both agreed, yes, this would be a good thing to do and a good road to go down. And uh, I'm still waiting for the call. So <laughs> never called me. Uh, and then in future, I interviewed for the uh, Toronto Maple Leaf job, uh, and um, they did like an IQ test back then for part of the interview. It was a long interview. And what I wanted to do with the team back then was dismantle it and build from the draft because that's the only way you improve the team is at the podium. Does that sound familiar? Yeah, they thought I, they thought I was way too radical. But the the biggest thing that stuck me, the biggest thing that it still hurts to this day, is that 
John Ferguson Jr., who became the general manager, he did better than me on the IQ test. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, like, I don't know how to take that. He beat me on the IQ test. So, anyways, a couple of general managers later, and uh, Shanahan and his group uh, dismantled this and and built it from the draft. And pretty proud of this Toronto team because it's in my backyard. So it's a team that I watched as a kid. But yeah, I put some thought to it. But then. You know, once I started, you know, watching Ray on TV and realized just how easy this job is, <laughs> that uh, I thought, well, why not just keep doing this? Because it's just, yeah. just so easy. You know, your competition's Ray. You can never get fired. <laughs> oh, that did happen. <laughs> However, uh, and I had fun doing both. I tell you, my my first game with Hockey Night Canada, Yuri Curry, sweater retirement, and, uh, you know, I've got my headset off. It, back when we weren't between the benches, Ray, that didn't happen until 2005. But, and watching the game, and Great Don Whitman is my uh, play-by-play guy. You know, mm-hmm. I, I don't know how to do this job. I've never done it, and I'm you know watching the, the whole festivities. And at one point, Don pushes his mute button and taps me in the shoulder and goes, "Hey, stupid! You need your headset on to do this job." <laughs> oh, okay, Don. Sorry. You mean people? I just can't talk, and people hear me. You actually have to talk into this microphone. Uh, but that's how the journey started for me. Uh, the very first whistle. They used to put up the lines. You remember the lines that come up? Yep. You know, Messi, Curry, etc. It would be up for, we're talking 1.3 seconds. <laughs> and so one of the first things out of my mouth was, all right, um, anyone who's a speed reader, you could figure that one out. But if you can't figure it out, which I can't, just wait for the next one so we're going to waste more of your time. <laughs> And the phone rang, and Hockey Night in Canada was blasting me, saying, you can't say that. Well, I kind of did, but <laughs> really good start in broadcasting, guys. Really good start. Yeah. So the journey takes you through a bunch of different things. You work at the PA, and, um, you know, we're starting to really make some headway there. And um, then through a bunch of circumstance, you end up now with the – executive director of the alumni and heels for the first time in a long time all of us retired guys feel connected to the alumni and without going into a whole bunch of detail because you it would take you too long i'm sure but what have you really tried to do with the alumni and how did you begin and end up as the executive director well i began with a conversation with Gretz, and um i basically said uh if baby Jesus isn't in the manger for Christmas, I'm not doing it. We're not having Christmas. I need you. Because the players are the brand. And that's the greatest thing that I've found is the players have, have all bought in to try to make a difference for players. We all transition. We all retire. We don't all do it well. And so our mission statement is this, honor the past. And the past are the guys that built the game. And to try to make sure that no player falls through the cracks, uh, that we they honor the great guys that built the game. We know what the pensions are of the guys that played in the 60s and 70s. They're dreadful. They're lousy. And so it's up to me to build that foundation to make sure that, you know, if a player doesn't transition well, I'm there. And, you know, the calls I get, and these are the bad ones, it's always from the wife or it's from the family. It's from the kids. And, and those are hard calls to take. These are guys that are our friends, and we played with Ray, and there's guys that I watched, and they were my heroes that I watched play. And I'm here to help them. I'm here to honor the past. 
And, and then we've got, you know, great programs, which, you know, we've got the Guy Lafleur, the Wendell Clark, and um, and the Lanny McDonald whiskey. I mean, that's a pretty good problem. I'm looking at about 40 cases of whiskey in my office right now. I, this is going to be a great summer. <laughs> um, but, you know, we've got great programs. But I think what what is the best thing is each player now, as an alumni, feels proud of the fact that they played the game. It was hard to play the game. But we're on one team now. I'm not on the Rangers anymore. I'm not on the Islanders anymore. I'm on one team. That's the alumni. And uh, there hasn't been a guy who hasn't said to me, how can I help? That's what I get. And that makes me most proud because the players are the brand, and they want to help honor the past. And so, you know, you mentioned in passing the, you know, the promotion with the whiskey, which went just amazing. And one thing that's just come out is, um, and, and maybe the most remarkable thing, I, I can't even imagine the logistics to it, is a, a game at the North Pole. And yes. um, if, if you could talk a bit about that and uh, how you guys sealed the deal and where you're at in the planning stages of it. Okay, just one sec. Hold on, Scotland's on the other line. Yeah, I need my Scottish passport before that game, that one last game. Okay, thanks. <laughs> uh, so basically, uh, you know, we, we're... We, we're philanthropic. We're ambassadors when we leave the game. We, we really are. And so the UN and Fatisov talked to our group in Finland about having one last game because climate change is important to everybody on the planet, and we are killing this planet. And where the game is going to be played, uh, 70 miles from the North Pole, in two years they anticipate that will not be there. And so, as a group, they asked if we would partner up. And there's there's many groups that are involved. The UN's involved. The Prince of Monaco's involved. The, the, the Papal Office is involved. And if we could get players to play, and as many players from different countries, that's why I'm getting my Scottish passport, um, as, as we can. So they're looking at maybe t- potentially 22 countries playing in the game. Rennie Fassell's going to referee the game. Like, I, I don't know more crooked referee, but we got him. We got him. We're on the WI job, and we got him. So we got that one checked off. Uh, but, but we like to bring awareness to the globe about the fact that we've got to be kinder to this planet. And so the deal was sealed in Finland uh, with a hug for me and Fatisov. I've, I've done lots of deals on paper. Um, I had a deal ripped up and thrown at me in a napkin. I've done lots that are 50 pages long, but I've never sealed a deal with a hug, but I did in Finland. So we're looking forward to it. I, I think it's a great initiative, and, um, you know, for, for the most part, every player that gets asked, and I'm certainly I'm not getting asked, it's the big boys. Uh, they are all want to take part and, and show the world that we are more than just hockey players, that we are ambassadors to this planet. Wow, that's, that's good. It's, yeah, that'll be fun. That'll be great stuff. It's just amazing to hear of heels, and, uh, um, of course, everybody's all interested up, and uh, I, I would love to see you representing Scotland, wedge yourself into your gear one more time. Oh, oh my God. I tell you, Vaseline wouldn't be enough to get me in it now. My last game I ever played was the last game I lost. I haven't put my gear on since. I actually moved it from the basement where it's been for, oh, got to be 30-some, 30, 30 years. I, no, not that long. But I actually moved it for the first time in, like, 20, 20 years. I moved it. Where to the so I did lift the hockey bag. But just do a different part of the base. Why would you have it? Heels, why would you have it? Uh, You know what? Honestly, the trainers for the Leafs packed it up for me, put it in a nice Leaf bag. I really, I haven't even opened it since they packed it up for me. And I did open it up the other day. And Scotty McKay, who works with me at the alumni, was a trainer then. And they went out and they bought about, and I didn't know they did this. And I'm sure he thinks I'm rude because I never said a word to him other than the other day. There's 30 rap CDs in my bag. 
So they actually went out and bought rap CDs because they know I hate it and put it in my bag and we're waiting for the moment I called them to say, aha, funny joke. Never, never <laughs> Two happened. decades have gone by. <laughs> I never called them. Anyways, yeah. So, you know, the game at the North Pole, again, we want everyone to be an ambassador when they leave the game. Yeah, it's hard to play in the NHL. We have 3,800 guys that are alive that have played one game. To make it and have a career like Ray had, just exceptional. Uh, and, and so, like, that's, that's exceptional. But for the most part, for us to make it fantastic, achieve our dream, win a cup maybe, but it's 30 to dead when you can make a difference to this world. And most of our guys do. We've got charitable stuff going on today all over North America. Just not many people know it's happening. And then this one, this is charitable to the world. This is showing awareness that we're going to try to make a difference and send a message. Well, good, great stuff, Glenn. Uh, thank you for the time on the uh, Ray Ferraro podcast. Uh, again, like you said, it's not a surprise that Ray now has a podcast. Uh, he, you know, you see him talking about the game, and now he's uh, got a podcast. So we talk to him for hours every week. It, it is. Um, it's amazing he's employed. I'm, I'm just, you know, <laughs> we're well aware of that. <laughs> yeah, uh, but uh, no, um, great friend, great teammate. Obviously a great career. And, Ray, I'm honored to be on this, and you can call me back anytime. I'm happy to be part of it. Niels, it's awesome to have you on, and good luck with everything. Of course, we'll be in touch, but just an unbelievable initiative that you guys have here. This this last game is something that will have an impact that I can't even think of something recently that would impact our our world, our hockey world, like this is going to. And the, yep. the outreach of it is, is really quite remarkable. So congrats yep. on that, Heels, and good Christmas to you and your family and Susie Thank and you. the girls, and I uh, hope everything goes great. We'll talk to you soon. You guys as well. All the listeners, Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Thanks, Cheers. Heels. Good stuff from uh, from Heels, Ray, and uh, we do got to get him back on because I got a feeling uh, that we only you know got the tip of the iceberg there with stories and things that Glenn Healy can talk about. There is um, there is no end to the stories that he has, but it's the way, of course, you can tell he's not scared. Yeah. <laughs> he's very open. Um, I'd say my two takeaway lines from there, they're that they have the crookedest referee ever officiating in Rennie Fussell, and that John Ferguson beat him in an IQ test, which disturbs him to the day. I just that cracks me up. That's yeah, great, and uh, and like you've you've told me in private, he has done a fantastic job with the alumni. Just uh, really done a great job. So that that's his, that's cool. His impact here is is great. Will be greater than as a player. Yep. The difference he's going to make, and is continuing to make already with the alumni is is really is really what his legacy is going to be. He's got a this is his calling it really is. Um indeed. Let's uh let's uh pick up some more topics here. Uh, a couple of weeks ago we had Ryan Rashog on from TSN right when Ken Hitchcock got hired for the Oilers and wouldn't you know it, Ray? Hitch hockey is back 7-2 and 1 the Oilers are uh Talbot's playing better. Uh they lost Clefbaum obviously with a with a hand injury, but Hitch he's working his magic. Well, but here's the thing. And this is crazy. They were eight, two, and one under Todd McClellan. Then they went one and six, and they fired Todd McClellan. Now they're eight, two, and one under Hitch. <laughs> yeah. That one and six in the middle cost Todd McClellan his job. And so, what what my thought of this is because when you watch the Oilers play, it's not like they've got some crazy new system. It's not like mm-hmm. they don't forecheck and they're just tight. And, you know, they're they're aggressive. They skate. Looks a lot like the old team. 
But the difference is, it seems to me that the Oilers were ready to really hear the message, to buy in. And so they respect Hitch. He's a new voice. So when you bring in a new voice, everybody is on edge because nobody knows where they stand. And the guys, are they snap to attention. Mm-hmm. Now, in some cases, like Chicago, it hasn't mattered because they're not good enough. You know, they fired Joel Quenville, yeah. they bring in an inexperienced Jeremy Colleton, and they got, I think they got their, oh, boy. they broke an eight-game losing streak last night, I think. I mean, they were just getting hammered. And so the Oilers are, you know, they've got excellent top-end players, but they're getting, they're getting lots from the middle of their lineup. You know, they're, Ryan Nugent Hopkins has been on a terrific uh, mm-hmm. stretch. Alex Chason, who was a, on a pro tryout yeah. contract, the PTO in camp, he's got 12 or 13 goals. Not just Cam Talbot been better, but uh, Nico Koskinen, the, the goaltender, who was a second-round pick by the Islanders back in, uh, what was he drafted, 06. Mm-hmm. Um, he went to Europe, and he was in the KHL and done real well. They brought him over on a one-year deal here. He's been outstanding. So they're getting good goaltending. Now, the loss of Clefbaum, Clefbaum will stress their lineup. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're in Winnipeg tonight, so we'll see how that goes. But, man, things are a hell of a lot more upbeat in Edmonton than they were just a few weeks ago before Hitch was hired. And looking at the ice time for uh, Connor McDavid, we thought it was high with McClellan, and uh, Hitch is throwing him over the boards even a little bit more, <laughs> which I guess, hey, that makes you a good coach, right? Well, you're, you're a lot smarter if your best player's yeah, that good, and he's on the ice a lot, and he's played that well. And it seems like every night McDavid scores, oh, or he's got something to do with yeah. with whatever's going on for the Oilers. He's a you know just a marvelous talent, and uh, Hitch is gonna is gonna ride that pony hard. I mean, he's gonna he'll get he'll get McDavid on the ice twenty three twenty four minutes a night as long as his legs can hold it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, also talking about uh, success stories here, uh, Tampa Bay Lightning. Nine and one right now. Um, they're simply on fire. And again, as a, as a Leaf fan, I'm looking at the standings and they're pulling away. And the Leafs are playing very well. <laughs> and Tampa Bay is just pulling away, man. <laughs> they're playing great. And what's and yeah, they're playing great. And what's been interesting about the stretch they're on is they've done it all without Andre Vasilevsky, their All Star goaltender. Yep. Um, I think he's one of the five best starters in the league. And he's been out with a broken bone in his ankle. Um, I'm not real sure how he broke a bone. A puck must have hit him in an odd spot. But anyway, he's been out. And Louis Domingue, who was basically out of the league mm-hmm. a year and a half ago, they made a trade. They swapped him uh, with Arizona. And he's come in. He, you know, he kind of won the backup job. And he's an inexpensive option to to back up, which, of course, teams under the cap crunch that the Tampa Bay Lightning are, they you've got to have players that can do the job for you that don't cost a lot of money. But... You know, I mean, I'd say there's been two games, Steve, where he's not been very good, and they've outscored his mistakes because they've got just a, you know, they've got as potent an offense as anybody, really. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the most part, he's been really good, and they'll get tested tonight. They're going to play the Leafs tonight, and I know both teams are kind of looking forward to it because, you know, you play so many games. There's only a few that really stand out and yep. you know really rev up your your engine, and and this would be one of them tonight. Yeah, it, it is a big game. Looking forward to, to watching it, seeing what happens. But, man, they are absolutely – and, hey, John Cooper is now the longest-tenured NHL head coach, and I don't know exactly how many years it is, but it doesn't seem that long ago that he was hired. 
Yeah, I, I bet you he's. How long has it been? Is it five or five years, maybe? Okay. Yeah. No. But I, I, when you said that, I was surprised. I, mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I think of him right as newer as well. But exactly. um, you know, there's been a there's been a lot of turnover in the last eighteen months. Yeah. Braden Point, twenty one goals, playing well, man. Third round draft pick. Yep. Um, I just you know everybody guys. focuses in on the very top draft picks, but. These guys are found money mm-hmm. because the percentage chance that one of them is going to turn into a regular NHL player is rather slim for them to turn into a star, which point is, is even, you know, it's mm-hmm. minute. Now the, the real problem is going to come for Tampa in the summer. Now they got to sign them. <laughs> yeah, really, right? Which means yeah. they're going to have to, there'll, there'll be some guys here this year that um, aren't going to survive the summer in Tampa. Uh-huh. So for them, like we talked many times about the Leafs, they kind of fall into a win-now mode, mm-hmm. and um, mainly because of the contract stresses they're going to be under. Absolutely. Um, hey, so one of the things uh, happening off the ice that made some news, uh, former NHL defenseman Andrew Ferris was on the uh, 31 Thoughts podcast, and obviously he spent some time at Edmonton. He won a cup with Boston as well. Uh, he spoke about the culture in Edmonton and said, uh, you know, basically – Made it sound like the younger players on the team, um, and this is Eberly Hall, R&H was there, um, and, and some other guys, I'm sure. Basically, we partied it up. They were out all night, and he said it was it was frustrating as, as an older guy to uh, try to lead the team when the younger players didn't seem to care. And, and of course, this made big headlines everywhere. Uh, what's your take on it? Well, he lost some friends, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, the greatest baseball or the greatest sports book ever written is Ball Four. Um, if, if you haven't read it, go get it. It's a diary of the 1969-70 Seattle Pirates, Pilots, which lasted for one year before they went to Milwaukee. And so they were, they were a team for one year, and then they just vanished. Anyway, the author is Jim Bouton, and Bouton wrote a day-to-day detailed diary of what went on. It is flat-out hilarious. It is, it is the best sports book I've ever read. And when he wrote it, he became a pariah. Nobody wanted to talk to him. Nobody wanted to deal with him because he named names. He told people what was going on behind the curtain. And certainly 40 years ago, nobody had any idea. Mm-hmm. What Ferenc did, um, I understand he's in a long-form broadcast, the podcast, and you know, you, you, you know, you're being honest. He's telling, sto- you know, yeah. I'll say stories, but they're not stories. He's telling events, retelling events, mm-hmm. except you're throwing guys under the bus. Now, maybe it doesn't matter after time's gone away, you know, after time's gone on, but those guys now have to deal with the backlash. Andrew Ferentz doesn't. And I thought, truthful or not, it put these guys in a terrible spot for a couple of days. They're sitting there answering questions about mm-hmm. behavior from, you know, five years ago. So I, I don't know how much of it is truthful I, or, or accurate. Yep. I don't know if it's partly accurate or, you know, I, I don't really know. I was surprised he said it only because I, I just know what it, what kind of spot it puts the other guys in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a little bit of a, yeah. A little bit of a outside the lines uh, accusation because, like you said, um, no, you know, everyone takes him at his like he he may not know all the facts. Maybe he wasn't out with those guys. Who know? You know what I mean? Like, I don't. know. Everyone just takes Andrew Ferris's side in this. Well, they do because yeah. he's the first story out. It's right. like anybody you get accused of something, and 
the the, not, the yeah. accusation is going to be you know six inches high, and yeah. the rebuttal or the right. or the correction is two inches high. Nobody sees it or nobody cares, and so he's put them in a bad spot. And um, I I don't know. I it's just it, well, t- certain things I think don't need to be don't need to be publicly talked about. Not everything is, and there's a reason for it. I don't think I don't think this needed to be. So you're not going to tell us about Heatley and Colby Chuck in uh, in Atlanta and everything else, right? You're not going to get into that in this. Podcast? No, I wouldn't because <laughs> I I wouldn't do it. Not about those guys. I know or just anybody kidding. else yeah, either. Yeah, yeah. The the point is that when you're in, you're in. There's a reason that some people aren't in. They're not good enough to be in, mm-hmm. right? They're not good enough to be in the league. So you don't get to see what goes on. Right. And that's, you know, I would say it's, a, you know, your, your neighbor, you don't know what the hell's going on behind when he closes the door, right? Yeah. You, you don't yeah. know. You see him yeah. when you drive out of your driveway. And there's a reason certain things are private. And with a team, I don't think, I don't think everything needs to be public. I don't condone what they did for a second. Like if, if they were out at three in the morning, and they've got a game in in a day and a half. I don't I don't think that's a very good choice. Right. But, um, and and I wouldn't have made it, and I didn't make it. But I don't think everybody needs to know about it. Yeah, I think fans really dig into that kind of stuff, and, and not so much the. I mean, it's a little bit of a salacious, but. My favorite parts of this podcast, Ray, are when you and ex-players, your your friends or whatever, are telling stories. You know, and they're all they're all innocent stories about your playing days. But we love the peek behind the curtain. Fans do, and I'm one of them. You know, so we love that. Yeah, stuff. no, no, yeah. I, I yeah. understand that, but yeah. the the problem is they're still in league. Don't know the real context <laughs> of it. Yeah, you you don't you can't understand it because you're not there, and so it becomes well. Andrew Ferrant said this, and all these other guys are a bunch of drunks. That's not the case. Yep. That's not the case. And and he put them in a terrible spot. And I know had I been one of those younger guys, I would be flat out pissed at him. Yeah, You'd be sending him some text or, or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I would send yeah. him a text saying, what the f- are you doing? Right. Like, seriously. Right. Um, speaking of a bad spot, uh, Chicago and L.A., uh, five Stanley Cups, but recently uh, won between the two teams. They are 30th and 31st overall in the league right now. Um, like you mentioned Chicago earlier, L.A. is not much uh, better. Uh, things are going poorly for them. My question, though, Ray, is is what can you do? I mean, look, they had so much success for so long. If I'm a fan of those teams, and I'm certainly a fan of the Maple Leafs, I'm still okay with being this bad because it is the price of success. I don't know what you can do. We got big contracts, no moves for most of these guys. I don't know where it starts, where it picks up, but I think as a fan, I would just go, okay, this is the price we have to pay. Well, the Patriots don't pay the price. I know, but that's rare. <laughs> well, so so then maybe maybe teams should study what the Patriots have done and what they what they do is they make cold blooded decisions. Mm-hmm. They don't award players for what they've already done. They and that I mean by contracts, they award players by what they think they can do, and they don't get it all right. Yeah, and they do lots of things that bug me. The Patriots. I don't like the cheating stuff. I don't right. like that they've filmed practices and all that. Mm-hmm. But I I like the fact that they've been able to sustain a long period of success. Now, when Tom Brady retires, they're going to have a problem. 
right? Yep. It's like, yep. you know, you lose your best player and ooh, guess what? All these other guys aren't quite so good anymore. So when the Blackhawks signed Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane to $10.5 million matching contracts, and they already had, they signed Brent Seabrook for a seven-year deal at $7 million. Like, what did they think was going to happen? These guys aren't going to get better. Mm-hmm. Like, Brent Seabrook now is, unfortunately, not even close to the player he was, even just a bit before he signed that contract. Mm-hmm. So you can say, well, what were they going to do? Move them. Move them. Pick and choose. You sign Kane and Taves, great. You don't have to sign everybody. But now they're stuck because if they've also traded away a lot of draft picks trying to stay relevant. Mm -hmm. So in that combination, you've depleted your farm system. You're now tied to contracts that are really pretty hefty. And how do you work around them? Obviously, Chicago and L.A. and St. Louis even for that matter. Yeah. You know, three three teams that have been very prominent over the last decade or so, they've got to they've got to scrap their plans and go to Plan B, C, or D, whatever it is. But for all of them, it's about you know getting faster, um, getting um, you know Chicago's got three or four young defensemen that are just about ready to come into the into the hopper. Mm-hmm. Um, they've got one Yakiyaru who's a Finnish kid, nineteen year old. Uh, but they got three more coming right behind them. Um, L.A., not so much. St. Louis, not so much. So you've got to get young players into your system, and it's going to take them time now. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you can't really move these big deals. People are – they're older, and got, other teams are going to be like, no, no thanks. And and besides that, no move, no moves in these a lot of these deals. So I don't really know where you begin. Yeah, don't give out them no move. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's the dumbest thing that teams have started to do. Mm-hmm. Like, honestly, Steve – not even by a little bit. I think it's stupid. Say to the player, I need 10 teams I can move you to. Yeah, something. Something. Yep. But to give them blanket no trade, that that should be for Connor McDavid, mm-hmm. Austin Matthews, um, even Andre Kopitar, like when he signed, Drew Doughty, like the very, very best of the best. Yep. Not Brent Seabrook. With all due respect, he's played yep. a thousand games. Yep. But the next tier of players shouldn't have no no trade clauses. You know what? This this uh, looking at the standings and seeing Chicago and L.A. down there, and, and obviously with the recent success they had, it makes you look at the Penguins, who were in back to back finals in two thousand nine, two thousand ten, or was it oh eight oh nine? I don't remember, but um, and they won a cup back then, and and. It's 2018, and of course they they just won two more. Uh, good job for the Pittsburgh Penguins organization. For I mean Crosby and Malkin have been there the whole time. Um, they've done a nice job, right? Of, of this window has been been long for them. It has been. It, it seems like it's starting to to fray a little bit. You yep. know, everything seems to be a little harder for them. Um, they lost in Chicago. Chicago hasn't beat anybody. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so it, to me, it feels like it's starting to fray a little bit. And yep. as Crosby and Malkin get a little older, um, you know, that takes a toll on them. Not that they're anywhere near finished, yep. but, you know, or even being finished as, you know, elite players. They've got, they got, they got years left. Yep. But I, I really wonder in the chase to stay relevant, which 
you have to do. Mm-hmm. Like you, you know, you, and that costs you those draft picks. So in the chase to stay relevant, you all of a sudden when it when it goes flat, there's there's no way to turn it around. So what do they do? Well, I I guess they've got to start looking at are we really contenders? And if we're not, they've got to start moving players for prospects. Yeah, like they got to go back the other way. Yep. And that probably is the price that a salary cap gives you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, all right, let's uh, take some questions from uh, people on Twitter. Uh, let's do first this day in Ray. Uh, December 13th, 1995. Look back at the... By the way, December's been a good month for you, right? You've been, t- you've been tracking yeah, these games? Yeah, unfortunately, all those days aren't <laughs> together. Right, but something about December. You just catch fire. Uh, I like Christmas, you know? <laughs> yeah, maybe that's it. You're so cheery. You're such a chipper yeah, guy. that's me. That's um, me. Everybody says that. Right, right. Your message, by the way, your phone, your voicemail, you got to change that. Why? You sound so... Leave a message if you want. If you don't... <laughs> you sound so don't. pissed off in your message. Oh, great. Okay, so you're with the Rangers. Uh, good job. Uh, you beat the Bruins 4-2. to two. Uh, You get a goal and an assist. Uh, second, first period, you got the second goal. Robitaille and Sundstrom assists, 14th of the year. You, got, you also assist in the second period on Nick Kiprios' goal, and Joey Koser picks up the other assist. So, again, we wow. see you on a line that I have a lot of questions about right now. Well, I do too. I, do, I don't remember that assist, but if if I got an assist on a Kip goal, it must have been a hell of a pass. <laughs> and Koser, by the way, also. Well, Joey, Joey was just making everybody scared on the other side of the ice. Yeah. That's funny. And, like, um, that, that was, well, I, I would have been playing at that time with Robitaille and Sundstrom. I yep. don't know what I was doing on the ice with with Kip and Kosher at that time, but, yep. um, uh, you know, I played a lot with Luke and um, a lot of times with uh, Alex Kovalev, yep. uh, sometimes with Pat Verbeek, and, um, you know, so, I mean, 14 goals in December, things were going great. What could go wrong? Yeah. Oh, I get traded <laughs> oh, two months later. Yeah, exactly, right. Hey, you're not, you're just not big enough. You're just, you're, you're not, not big enough. <laughs> oh, and, and by the way, Keenan stories too, Healy could have really gone oh. into those, so. Yeah, uh, the, the one about the shutout, though, it's one of my favorites. Right, right. What's the difference? Four cups. <laughs> Beat it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. As he said, he asked. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, all right, here's some questions from you people at Paul Pocky. Uh, please hit us up anytime. We'll try to get them in the show. I got an email question for you as well uh, from Josh McKernan. Uh, please ask Ray what she prefers to do sign an autograph for a fan or take a selfie? Um, Does it matter? Yeah, I think the selfie. Okay. Yeah, and the reason I say that is because the autograph is, you know, it's not. I, I always wonder what people do with them. But if you if you were a collector or a fan, say, and you have a and you take selfies of you and the player, mm-hmm. or or the broadcast or whatever, I think that's kind of cool. I think, oh, hey, here I am with whoever. I think that's kind of cool as opposed to what yeah. can be now like a mass produced autograph. Yeah, I uh, one of the coolest things I have in my in my collection is when I was a kid, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen years old. Uh, I have from the late eighties pennants. You know those felt pennants. I have oh. I have a, a, a selection of those that I got signed after every Winnipeg Jet game I went to. I'd buy the team that we were seeing, and then I would wait yeah, below. Yeah, the... I, I had those. Did you? Yeah. So, did you have the ones, Steve, that were attached together? No, no, they were no. So, so I had these, my, I my mom and got me this for Christmas, and they were, 
like at the time, I think there was 14 teams, but they were all connected by like a, a rope of felt. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right? No, yep. And so you'd hang them like a, you know, you just hang them in your bedroom. And I used to stare at those things. Oh, I love those. Those were awesome. But just think they were made out of felt. Yeah. The guy'd go sign it and the signature would get all screwed up because it's on felt, right? Yeah. I uh so I have the I have like twelve of these, fourteen of these from all different teams. I have whalers, I have islanders. You are not on there. I, I can't I don't know what happened. I must have not you must have ran remember that dash to the bus from the Winnipeg Arena? Well it could have been thirty below, so Right, right. So it's possible <laughs> that you, you ditched all of us, right, both times. But uh um yeah, so it's really cool. I have these autographs from so many great players on these pennants and I just I'm like Sweet. Now, see, that is, you know what's kind of cool is like so now you're all this all this time later you're older yep. and stuff. Yep. It's still kind of cool to look at. Absolutely. Go, oh yeah, I remember that. Yep. Yep. I uh, like that. So, anyways, uh, so yeah, uh, it's really cool to, to see the signatures. All right, here we go. Some more questions. Um, from uh, from Chown uh, at CLNHUN Jet, uh, what are your thoughts, Ray, on being able to trade cap space? Helps both big and small spenders. Uh, what do you think about that? Well, I don't, I don't know that I really understand it. Trade cap space, trade three million dollars for two million dollars. Well, I think uh, you can trade as a player. If you're making a player for player trade, you can throw in cap space if it's not quite, you know, not quite the same trade. Yeah, see, I, I don't mind that because it, it doesn't increase the percentage of the salaries. Uh, because, and the reason I say that, I mean, I'd like that the players would be able to get fifty-two percent of the salaries. Why I like that they don't have. Uh, that this idea doesn't contain an idea that would have you expand that salary percentage mm-hmm. is because then I would say it's never going to happen, right? The owners, the owners yep. aren't backing away from 50, 50. Yep. So if you trade the, um, the cap space, it would still like, it's the same amount of cap space. It, it stays in the league. Mm-hmm. It's still 50. Yep. I don't like that. Yep. Uh, I mean, as I said, let me be clear. I don't love 50-50, yeah. but I love that it seems to be a pretty good answer. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I wish – we've talked about it before, and something you've mentioned, right, too, is just do something different like the NBA. Have an exemption in the salary cap, yeah. one player. Like, just help help movement, help interest, help trades. Teams are just they're, – they're just they got this cap number, and there's nothing you can do. You are just done. You're just – movement well, is – I yeah. think what's happening now, Steve, that, that's maybe making people – take more note is that there's more and more young young players that are you know are more than capable of of being stars in this league and this is throwing the balance out a little bit Mm -hmm. and so the the cap money gets allotted in different ways then you get a team like toronto that hasn't won a bloody thing and they're they're going to be under a cap squeeze here pretty quick that doesn't seem fair Winnipeg's going to be the same thing. Yeah, like Winnipeg, they've done it the right way. They drafted their young players. I mean, Winnipeg's maybe even a better example because they didn't go out and sign John Tavares for eleven million bucks a year. Yeah, like they've done it all pretty much internally. And so, why they have to start throwing guys overboard here? Because their young stars, Kyle Connor, Patrick Laine, um, Nick Ehlers, they. That Jack Morrissey signed a bridge contract. They're going to run into a problem with Jacob Truba. Yep. They drafted every one of those guys. It just doesn't seem right somehow. Yeah, yeah, you got a point. You're right. Yeah, as a fan, as a for the best interest of the game, it doesn't seem right. Right? Yeah, you, you got a point. Um, Tony, lots of comments. I'm so surprised. <laughs> lots of comments about uh, Brian Hayes and the fanboy comment. Um, people wanted to know what you thought about. Yeah. 
Hayes saying. Well, you know, I think I, I think I made it pretty clear yeah. what I thought of of that whole discussion. Right. right. Here's the thing, though: a lot of people latch onto that, and they don't know that I'm on the show with Brian every day. Mm-hmm. Like I'm on, uh, you know, I'm yeah. I'm on uh, Overdrive five times a week. Yep. I think Brian is awesome. I think he's a star. I I I think he does an amazing job. Doesn't mean I have to agree with him. And I thought, and I will always think this: that people don't have. Um, in, a, in a lot of cases, they don't have a great idea or a great feel for how hard it is to play in the NHL. Like they don't. Mm-hmm. They, they just they just don't. And so to say, oh, Nylander's back and he's got his money. Yeah, so what? Mm-hmm. What does that matter? I mean, I understand everybody's a little jealous of him. I am too. I'd like to have made $6 million. I'd like to make $17 million by next July. That seems like a fun thing to do. However... Um, they didn't have it when we were around. But I still understand that it's going to take him a long time to really get to the point where mm-hmm. he's at 100% or 80% or 90%. Like the other night, he was okay, and he took yep. two penalties, and he looked out of shape. I think, and yeah. I think people like going to happen. People like that you you don't have a lot of bias one way or another. Like you will call a player out if you think it's a dumb move or he's not playing well or whatever. Um, a lot of ex-players in media – will just be sunny about everything and everybody all the time, you know? But on the other, on the flip side with this Nylander thing, you're just like, give the guy a break. You know what I mean? Like, I, I think people like that. Well, but here's, yeah. here's the thing, Steve, is like I decided some time ago that, you know, as I was getting more and more into this and it was clear that, you know, I was going to be doing it not flip-flopping around to something else, was that I'm like, man, the, the people that watch and listen to the games, they know, like – you know, they're, they're fans, of course, but, you know, you can only BS the troops for so long. <laughs> and then they're like, okay, this is stupid. This guy's full of it. So I, it, it wasn't hard for me because I'm not – I don't get a Stanley Cup ring if anybody wins. Nobody cares if I'm the broadcaster um, to it. You know, they're interested in the players. But really, they're interested in just the teams. Like, look how quickly some of the people turned on Nylander. Yeah. They don't care about Nylander. They care about the lease. Right? There's, yep. a, there's a distinction there. And you can go that in probably almost any player, that the team supersedes the player. Because when the player gets old and gets slower, the fans will say, right. oh, yeah, we need to get right. rid of him. Right. Never mind the previous 10 years. They're like, no, it's our team. To hell with the player. So I have no problem disconnecting from the players. I don't try to be their friends. I, I like certain guys when I see them. I like to talk to them because they're interesting people. But I, I'm, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not in the buddy-buddy business. I'm just in, I watch the game. I tell you what I see. I use my experience from all my days of playing in the NHL, which I think gives me a unique perspective. And other than that, yeah. I don't really care who wins. <laughs> I just want the game to be good and fast and exciting so there's lots for us to talk about. Uh, Hop Gravy asks, what contingency plans do networks or you have in place for the lockout? For the lockout. Hop Gravy's convinced it's happening. Uh, <laughs> yeah. which, which Alan well, Walsh is also. There are no plans to have. Right. I mean, yep. The league and the players will tell us if we've got jobs that year or not. If not, then I assume uh, Gord Miller and I will be on a cross-world tour um, broadcasting international hockey. You you still get paid, right? You're still working? You're doing everything? Like, Well, if you're working, you do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. Um, I didn't know how that worked. I can't remember the last time. Yeah, no, it's um, it's it's not a good thing for anybody if right. there's a lockout. It's a, he also asked, would you be interested in doing AHL games if they asked? 
If, yeah. Well, see, here's the thing. They won't ask. They'll tell. <laughs> right, okay. Right? So your boss will say, like, yeah, yeah. our boss will say, um, for example, if there is no, if there is a lockout, um, he'll say, okay, the uh, under-18 tournaments in Slovakia in November. Mm-hmm. Off we go. Yeah. They're not saying, hey, are you interested? Yeah. They're like, off you go. Yeah. And so you, you know, you immerse yourself in that world. And, you know, I mean, it's so far out of our hands that you just, I'm just like everybody else. I hope to heck that it doesn't happen. Yeah. Alan Walsh was very pessimistic on our show. Yeah, Alan yeah. wasn't as positive. No, he was not. Uh, Rob Gibson, uh, he's in South Korea. He emailed a question in. Question for Ray. Why do coaches cover their mouths while talking on the, on the bench? Do other teams actually hire lip readers to watch them during games? What could they possibly be saying that they wouldn't want the other team to find out? Uh, I don't know. I see it all the time, and I'm yep. like, and I think it's goofy as well. Okay. Um, and a football, I think they got it probably from football coaches yep. who talk with their play chart in front of them all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I, 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 even, I even wonder about that. Like the difference being that a, you know, a football head coach would be in constant communication with his coordinators upstairs yeah. to talk about what the next play would be. But even if they heard them say, okay, we're going to sweep right here, you, you, the you. other team can't get that information and get it down fast enough yeah. to get it into the defense to, you know, I, I don't Adapted. know. It's a little no. paranoia, I'm sure. I'm with you. Uh, Kyle Waters says, Ray, with all the traveling to the States that you do, do you have a favorite restaurant, chain or otherwise, that you like hitting while there? And a favorite beer to have in the States that's not available in Canada? Um, well, I'm, I'm not really I'm not really a beer guy. Mm-hmm. I, I like it, but I'm... My, my, if my, if I'm going to drink a beer, it, it's funny. I'll drink. You know, I like Heineken. I, uh, but I like Guinness. Guinness is my favorite. Oh yeah. And uh, because it's like a meal, and um, and then I like any. I, I'm not like I don't go. Oh, I don't like this beer. I don't like. I like light beer mostly mm-hmm. because I'm not that much of a, a connoisseur. I do like local beers. If, um, you know, it seems kind of. The way it's, these days, that yeah, very trendy. Most areas yeah. have their local craft brews, I, I, and I'll try those for sure. As far as a favorite restaurant chain, uh, yeah, like what do you hit up? Like I live down here, so I'll I'll tell some Canadians give me some options. Uh, Claim Jumper, Pen, uh, no. uh, Claim Jumper, um, uh, you know. Okay, not um, uh, not Cheesecake Factory. That, yeah. I, I like it. Okay, Cheesecake Factory is like okay. It, like I, I like a lot of places. Okay. What's the uh, what's the place with the lettuce wraps? The uh, Asian, I think lots of places have them Asian place uh, uh, chain. PF Chang's. PF Chang's. How, how do you feel about? Yeah, PF Chang's? I, we ate a PF Chang's in Carolina the other night. I liked it. Okay. Um, there's lots of times where we'll, because we are in the same cities over and over, you learn like the mm-hmm. where the local restaurants are, and I, I prefer those. I would say I do miss uh, I do miss an Earl's down here. I like an Earl's. Uh, Cactus Club, Earl's, yep. they're Canadian chains, yep. very yep. kind of similar. I, I like them. Yeah, or, we, gir- um, or girls, we, as my buddies refer to it as. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, oh, so, yeah. Somebody figured out the, you know, how they hire there. Right, right. Uh, I, I like uh, I like Claim Jumper down here. I'm a, I'm a fan. Um, yeah, I'm not, I, don't, I don't know it enough. So really? I, I don't really, I'm not really the, 
the guy to ask on that. Right. All right, here we go. Uh, Brian Blair says, uh, as a lifelong Whalers fan, uh, this guy is, can you ask Ray if there was any heat or regret from Whalers management about selecting Sylvain Turgeon ahead of Iserman and Lafontaine? I spent my mid-teens lamenting what, what might have been. This is the 83 draft. Well, I don't know if there is, but if there isn't, I can't imagine how they, those guys yeah. would have been in management anyway. I mean, <laughs> like, right. you know, we're talking about Hall of Famers here. And so, yeah, of course they yep. probably would have, you know, I mean, Sylvain so, so was selected too uh, in that draft. And um, I, I want to say uh, Iserman went four, or did he go three? Uh, I'm, I'm not sure. Like, you know, yeah. like yeah. it was. Barrasso was yeah, five, Iserman was four, Lafontaine was three. Yeah, so the yeah. answer is, yeah, of course they would have liked to redo, but I'm sure lots of teams would too. But, um, you know, at the time, Sly was a, you know, was a dangerous scorer and mm-hmm. um, had, had a pile of goals in the Quebec League, and that's who they took. And uh, I'm, sure, I'm sure lots of teams would like redos all over the place. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Sly and Pierre, different types of players, huh? Like, I mean... Completely different. Yeah, like, yeah, like very different. Yep. Sly was a shooter. Yep. Pete... Sneaky Pete was a passer and um, much more creative. Um, you know, different. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Put it this way: I got I got three brothers. They're all different. Yeah. And uh, so I guess it's probably not that big a surprise. Uh, last one uh, from Mike Johnson: If you're a GM with lots of cap space, would you offer sheet someone this off season? Who yes. and for how much? <laughs> yes, I would. I can't believe the management doesn't do it. I think it's bogus. Yeah. I think it's a old buddy buddy, you know, let's protect ourselves here. I, I could care less if somebody offers one of my players, if they were doing it out of, um, you know, uh, out of retribution because I offer sheeted one of their guys. Yeah. So what? Well, then I'll make the decision and I'll either take the draft picks or match the player. And then if I got to match them, then I'll have to figure something else out. Mm-hmm. But I, I think it's ludicrous, it, it, yeah. ludicrous that we haven't seen any yet. As far as guys I would offer sheet, um, I'd look to teams that if I make an offer, A, I really want the player, B, that it would put them in a real stressful spot that they're going to have to make a decision. Easy, Ray. I know Those where you're are going with this. Those are the guys I would go to. I know where you're going with this. Well, no, you don't, because the first guy I'd say is Sebastian Ajo. Okay, never mind. <laughs> I don't know where you're right. going with it, right? <laughs> yeah, and so I would think that if you made a – eight or nine million dollar offer if you feel Sebastian Ajo is worth that Mm -hmm. that would stress Carolina like would they take the draft picks or would they say damn we got to sign this guy right like that that would be the type of guy I would look at of course I would be considering Marner and Matthews 100 percent I would be considering Mikko Rantanen I'd be considering any of them yeah to make your team better it's in the CBA I don't understand why they'll use the freaking thing yep yeah, I, I I agree. It's bull. It's honestly, it's as big a pile of bullshit as anything in the CBA. It's there. It's there to protect the players, and they never ever take advantage because there are no teams willing to step off the curb. Winnipeg's got Kyle Connor and Patrick Liney. Yeah, they're not going to be able to sign everybody. Yep. Now, and if I've got the cap space, I'd, I'd attack it. The, uh, the penalty, I think, is uh, depending on it goes on your salary, but I think it's four first rounders, correct? Is the max? Well, for, for what? For, for, for like a high end guy. For, for a, a yeah, you can, eight mil. You can, offer Marner, you can offer Marner something to the point that it's, uh, I think it's two firsts, a second, and a third. Oh, okay. All right. I thought it was a lot more than that. What I'm saying is no. these guys are worth and, that. These guys are worth that. Whatever penalty yeah, but was. But I'm just saying two firsts, a second, and a third? 
Yeah, I'd give that up for Abs- Mitch Marner. Yes, absolutely. Or Austin Matthews or Line A or any of these like that. That those guys are worth it. So, so the four first rounders, I th- you've got to get into a certain percentage of the cap, and very few do. Okay. Um, but if you told me I, I could have Austin Matthews or four first rounders, I'd probably take Matthews. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Because the four first rounders, everybody assumes that those. I think in their head, everybody goes, "Oh yeah, those will be first rounders at the top of the draft." Well, mm-hmm. what if you're a good team? You're just yep. signing a player for ten or twelve million dollars. He better help you be better. Yep. And so maybe those picks are fifteen or twenty-five or twenty-eight. And and out of that, say only two hit. Maybe you right. whiff on one or whatever. You know, yeah. It's not like a first rounder is an happen. automatic yep. thing. You know, yep. so. All right, cool, great show. Thank you, Ray. Uh, thanks to Glenn Healy as well for coming on, and uh, thank you, Ray Ferraro. You are uh, going to be deep diving into World Junior stuff, so maybe next week we'll ask for World Junior questions, uh, and you'll be uh, you'll be into it, and you'll you'll preview the tournament a little bit for us, and uh, we'll get into it, man. That's uh, yeah, that would be great. Um, this week's a little early. Next week won't be. Perfect. All right, Ray. Well, thanks very much, and thanks everybody for listening. Appreciate it. It's been another edition of Paul Pocky Podcast with the great Ray Ferraro. Thanks, Ray. Later. Thanks, guys.